Welcome back to Cardinals Off Day. Today is the first proper off day of the season. Uh, Ben and I are here recording this just a couple hours after the Cardinals defeated the Reds 11-6. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing a lot better uh, now that the Cardinals are officially uh, 1-0 after a pretty ugly game. Um, You know, truth be told... Uh, opening day is a wonderful day. Uh, it's even better when there's good baseball played, and not that it was bad, but it was it was not the cleanest, most enjoyable uh, pace of play spectacle that Theo Epstein probably would have wished uh, we could have watched. Um, right, Theo was at home taking furious notes. Um, yes, not that I'm complaining about six runs in the first inning, uh, but. When you get that six run first, you kind of, you know, the course is set for a game with a lot of pitching changes, and that means the game's going to take a little bit longer. Yeah, you know, and uh, I watch a lot of soccer, too, and it reminds me a little bit of soccer. You know, if a team, you know, bangs in a goal or a couple goals early, it totally changes the complexion of the game, and they're just going to sit back and soak up pressure, and it, it can make for a fairly ugly and unentertaining game sometimes. And uh, it doesn't always happen with baseball, but I I definitely think that was somewhat the case here today. You get those early runs and it just kind of changes, changes things a little bit. So, um, so I guess that kind of leads into where we like to start off, which is uh, we, this is only one game we had, but uh, what, what did we learn? Do you feel like you learned anything today? Um, I think we learned uh, or maybe had reinforced that Mike Schilt, unlike his predecessor, uh, does not care much about pitching wins. And I think in the context of this game, it showed itself obviously with Jack Flaherty, but I think that may have also been a window into how this team is going to manage workloads for pitchers. Uh, you know, Flaherty was not sharp today. He did not have his best stuff. Uh, the the weather conditions were not great either. Um, and to me, it was pretty telling that Schilt went out there and got him before he qualified for the win, uh, even though they still had a pretty comfortable lead, uh, just because his pitch count was maybe a little bit higher than they would have liked and perhaps the innings a little bit more stressful than they would have liked. Um, and so the first start for the Cardinals' ace, uh, the one who is probably the most important pitcher on the staff, uh, did not go very well, um, and Schilt was not going to let him stay out there and labor through and, and get the quote-unquote pitching win uh, that my dad and folks of his generation place so much value in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, similarly, in terms of what I felt like we learned today, and, you know, again, it's it's one day, so I think, as I said beforehand, before the game, you know, no performance today could have been so great or so bad that it would have really dramatically changed my opinion about an individual player, but definitely gives a window into how the team is going to operate. And I think what I learned today or had confirmed for me is that every single game this season is going to be stressful to watch. And the reason it's going to be stressful is, uh, you know, we saw Jack Flaherty uh, pulled in the uh, in in the fifth before completing the fifth inning. Um, 
to, you know, to keep him under 100 pitches. I actually watched a good part of the Yankees game earlier in the afternoon. The Yankees did exactly the same thing with Garrett Cole. I think he actually came out in the fourth, but, you know, same thing. He was kind of getting into the vicinity of 100 pitches. They pulled him out in the middle of an inning. I don't know the 100 is or will always be the magic number, but this is definitely a window into the fact that I think a lot of teams are going to be keeping those workloads down for those starting pitchers. And with with, you know, numbers like that, you're not going to, you know, you not necessarily going to you might see a guy get into the sixth or maybe the seventh. But, you know, your your starters are not going to be going particularly long. And I think guys coming out in the fourth and fifth is going to be a pretty common thing we're going to see this year. And what's going to be stressful about that is, you know, I feel like one of the things about when you go to your bullpen is, you know, any given day, any pitcher could just be off. You know, even your best your best reliever, uh, you know, some days they just go out there, they you know they throw about three pitches, and you're like, oh no, he does not have it today. He just does not have that today, and that's always been the case. Well, that's one thing in kind of more traditional mode when your starters are going to regularly be going, you know, maybe seven or eight innings. You're only looking at maybe one reliever. Uh, if we're going to see a lot of games like this, and we're still going to see for the most part one inning relievers. You know, that's potentially four or five guys that, that all have to be having a good day. So uh, even in a game like today where you've got a big lead, you know, the, those can just be the worst kind of games. You know, you're, oh, your starter looked pretty good. OK, he's done. Your first reliever comes in. OK, he did pretty good. Then your next reliever comes in. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, it can just it can all go awry. And, and I just think that with those workloads staying down, I think every game is going to be like that this year. You know, it's if you think about uh, pitching in a major league game as kind of a chain from beginning to end, you know, the more times, the more links that you have in that chain, there are more places where something can go wrong. And I also think, uh, as you said, we have more relievers appearing, but I also think we're going to see a plan where Schilt is expecting longer appearances. Um, from the relievers in these games. And they have a lot of relievers who have good stuff, who could be starters if they were on another team. And so it does make sense to try to get maybe an inning and two thirds or two innings from some of these pitchers. Um, But what you're getting there is it's very hard to pitch in the major leagues. It's very hard to be a good starting pitcher in the major leagues. And so where do pitchers go who aren't good enough to be starting pitchers in the major leagues? They go to the bullpen. And then managers are able to put them in a position to succeed where they can leverage their skill, which is maybe a fastball slider. You know, maybe it's a fastball changeup. You know, they can hone and narrow down their skills uh, to leverage them to the maximum extent possible. And that tends to work a lot better for two thirds or a full inning. But then when you get them into that second inning of work, when they, when they go in to the dugout, sit down and come back in, um, you have heard uh, quite a few pitchers say that is difficult to do when you're working in relief. And so you're creating all of these new situations for these relievers. And then you add to that all the ways it can go wrong for a relief pitcher on any given day. And I think you're right, Ben. I think what baseball is going to be in 2021 uh, is probably going to be closer to the ugliness of today uh, than what 
Major League Baseball once on the field as a product for entertainment and what we were watching, you know, two, three years ago. It's going to be a lot different from either of those things as well. And so it will be interesting to see if this is a permanent trend or if it's only a stopgap to build up pitcher workloads and starting pitchers will, you know, again, go more into the sixth. But the overall trend had had been before 2020 more relief pitching and 2020 just like it did in so many other areas of society sort of accelerated those trends in major league baseball and so uh 2021 may be the real beginning of of a new type of uh approach to pitching for major league baseball teams and it will be very interesting to see how that plays out over the full season yeah absolutely well, with that, you know, we uh, the first topic we wanted to kind of kick around today was the the idea of a closer, or how that might look on this team, and we're kind of uh, pointing in that direction already, uh, talking about the bullpen. So, Ben, what are I mean, what are your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, will the Cardinals identify a closer this year? Do they need to? How do you think they should be managing that position? Well, I'm someone uh, the Cardinals in the minor leagues uh, a few years ago. Uh, I read an article and John Mosaloc was quoted as saying that they've really tried to eliminate the idea of a closer role uh, in the minors. And the idea being that if these pitchers who are pitching in relief come up and they know, you know, this is your job, you're going to come into the game when their number two hitter is up and you're going to face the heart of the order. And that's going to happen if it's the ninth, the eighth or the seventh. And they look at it more as a matchup role instead of an inning role. And that made a lot of sense to me because, you know, I've always thought it makes more sense to have your very best reliever face their very best hitters in the late innings because those very best hitters could make it so that there's no safe situation and you don't need a closer. Uh, if you have your second or third or fourth best reliever face them and that second or third or fourth best reliever gets shelled. And so I'm definitely open to not having a designated closer. Um, Mike Schilt seems to be more role-based in his bullpen management. And I think that's more to do with uh, sort of the human element and major leaguers tend to do better when they have an assigned role. And so uh, I was curious when Schilt then did not name a closer in spring training, even though the closer of the past is healthy and ready to start the season after Tommy John's surgery, and that's Jordan Hicks. And so uh, it's it raised my eyebrow a little bit then when Reyes got the call in the ninth today. It's a non-safe situation, of course, but it's an off day tomorrow. And it was a total Tony LaRusso. It would have been a ton, total Tony LaRusso move to have his closer come out for the ninth on opening day, even though it's an unsafe situation because they have an off day tomorrow. Because he's sending a message to the closer, he's sending a message to the team, he's sending a message to the league. This is my guy. And there's Alex Reyes, who is the most enticing pitcher on the staff. Uh, he has stuff that creates holes in swings. <laughs> And he's out there for the ninth inning in Cincinnati. And it sure felt like maybe an unofficial, hey, you know, gun to my head, this is our closer type of situation. Right. 
I'm also wondering with, and again, getting back to this idea of how many relievers they're going to have to use this year. I almost wonder if Schilt has sort of like a, a, you know, group A and group B of sort of, you know, relief roles here. And so, you know, today we saw, so, so I'm trying to think today we saw uh, 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 Webb and Henesis uh, Gen- uh, Cabrera and then Gallegos and, uh, oh, Helsley was in there too. That's right. Helsley. And then uh, Reyes at the end. So, you know, uh, Andrew Miller and Jordan Hicks are kind of the two, you know, fairly good relievers who we didn't see today, but I'm wondering if they're kind of, uh, you know, and again, tomorrow's an off day, but assuming tomorrow wasn't an off day, I wonder if tomorrow we would potentially see Woodford and then Miller and then Hicks uh, or, you know, something like that. And obviously he's not going to be able to completely separate them into two groups, but needing them as often as he does and nobody can pitch every single day. Uh, you know what I mean? I almost wonder if he's got some sort of groupings in mind in terms of how he's going to deploy these guys. And the hierarchy of how he used them, you know, made some sense as well. Webb was facing lefties, you know, when he pulled Flaherty. Uh, Helsley and Cabrera sure feel like they could be, you know, six or seventh inning guys. And then Gallegos was in the traditional setup role that he has held uh, and performed well in. Although I think a lot of folks would agree that Gallegos has the stuff to close. Oh, yeah. And so uh, it is interesting that uh, Miller didn't get the call and neither did Hicks. But you also wonder if, you know, Miller is out there instead of Cabrera if the game's closer. Um, Right. And right. and that type of thing. Um, but with the A and B choice, maybe that's how they will approach the closer role. Because they have an innings cap on Reyes, and they have a situation with Hicks where he's returning uh, from Tommy John surgery, and they're going to be monitoring his workload you know, day in and day out pretty closely because of that. So it could be a situation where they do have a closer A and a closer B, and because of the workload concerns, they're using both of those guys to close, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just depending on the day and who's thrown when. Yep, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, what you said about the human element is a, an important part of this as well, because I agree with you. And I think most um, fans with a, you know, reasonably sophisticated understanding of how these things work, uh, understand that, yeah, using your best pitcher against the the heart of the other team's order is generally preferable to this guy has to pitch the ninth inning, you know, if, because if you're, if you're, you know, so-called closer is truly your best pitcher and the ninth inning, you know, he's going to be facing the seven, eight, and nine slots in the order. Uh, that's a waste, you know, especially if you're pulling your starter a couple innings earlier, they've got the heart of the order up, there's runners on base, etc. So, on the one hand, you want that flexibility, but, but I think you're absolutely right in terms of the, the, just that, that human factor. I mean, people, you want to have an idea of what's expected of you when you show up at your job (laughs) and there's a limit to the flexibility. And I think it would be nice to, you know, to imagine, well, they can just go in there and Schilt can just, as the game happens, you know, pull these things out of his hat, but they really need a game plan ahead of time you know, for kind of what's going to happen, or at least a couple scenario, you know, okay, scenario A, you know, starter gets a little deeper into the sixth, seventh, here's what we're going to do. Scenario B, 
starter blows up kind of early. He's out in the fourth. Here's what we're going to do. You, you kind of need those scenarios in mind. And just knowing that you're so often going to have to cover, you know, probably sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth innings, a pretty good portion of those. It just makes sense that you're going to kind of start to gravitate to some of these things that like, okay, you know, Henesis Cabrera is pretty much a sixth inning type guy or, you know, whatever, whatever it's going to be. So it will be interesting to see. I hope we, I hope we see that flexibility, um, you know, as much as possible, but also recognizing that there will be, they'll just sort of naturally fall into some roles at some point, and that's probably necessary as well. And taking the human element into account on the other side as well. um, I recall from Dave Duncan's time in St. Louis, uh, there was discussion on whether you take an ace or an elite closer. And Duncan was of the opinion that you take the elite closer because it changes everything on the other side, where it shortens the game. They know that if you have the lead, this guy's coming in in the ninth, and it's over. It's one, two, three, they're done. And that changes every decision they make, and it also changes their mentality as the game goes forward if they're unable to get a lead. Um, and it increases the pressure on that offense to score because they aren't going to be able to in the ninth inning. And I always thought that was an interesting perspective from Dave Duncan, who knows a lot more about baseball and has a lot more experience in baseball uh, than I do. Um, but I have also kind of felt that when you're a fan and when you're on a team, you're just like, we've got to get Pujols up, right? Like in the Pujols era, you know, especially you know, kind of in the 06 to 2010 range. Yep. Uh, it was, we just got to get Pujols up and we'll have a chance to win. Well, if you know Pujols is coming up and then in comes Alex, an Alex Reyes type pitcher, and it's just like, oh no, you know, you're neutralizing our best weapon and now we have to try to beat you with, you know, what was it, Albert and the Seven Dwarfs? We have to try to beat you with <laughs> Grumpy um, or Doc and that doesn't right. work either. Or Aaron Miles. Yes, Aaron Miles. <laughs> he, I, I hear that's what he's doing in retirement out at Disneyland. Um, is uh, he because he's short, Ben? Um, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, there, it's a two-way street with the human element and. I think it just depends on the group, the mix of guys that you have in that bullpen. And I I feel like Alex Reyes may be in a position where he's very thirsty for a role uh, with him not being able to start, which is what he wants to do. And, you know, if they're going to let him be the closer, you know, more power to him because he's a great pitcher. And his stuff today, I mean, you saw it today. It's just electric. He just... Oh, yeah. Uh, he was just when he's in the zone and then able to expand the zone, uh, you know, in off of the black a little bit and then also up and down. I mean, these hitters, they just can't touch him. So, you know, the bullpen is the strength of this team. Trying to figure out who the closer is probably is is more of a blessing than a curse at this point in time. You know, we aren't we aren't like who will do it. Oh, I guess it's Ryan Franklin. Right. <laughs> you know, it's um, who will do it. We have all of these flamethrowers who could do it. I mean, even Helsley would be a good, would be a, a better than average uh, and probably a top 10 closer in Major League Baseball oh, yeah. if given the opportunity. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think Woodford's the only guy back there. You'd be like, oh man, if you were stuck with him. I mean, Andrew Miller is not what Andrew Miller used to be, but he'd be fine. You know, it'd be, you could, it, you could do worse than that. So, um, well, moving on, I guess, from the bullpen to the bench, um, you, you brought up the topic of Edmundo Sosa earlier when we were, we were texting. Yeah. Um, you touch and on that? I, I, uh, you know, we we live in a triple A town and ben, I think you might you know, have fro- we've oh, seen the Memphis Redbirds. Back. Oh, you froze on me for just a second. You're back. Okay. Um, sorry about that. Um, you know, we live in a triple A town and we've seen the Memphis Redbirds play. And so, you know, and a lot of other players play. And so spring training, I think for us, is as much a time to kind of check in on some of the players who we have seen play over the years and, and where they might uh, fit on the St. Louis Cardinals and Edmundo Sosa. I've kind of seen it, seen it a little bit of this on social media where his roster spot has been reduced down to, he does not have options and the Cardinals don't want to lose him. So he's on the major league team. And I, you know, that is undeniably a factor in the decision-making process for the team. But I just, you know, I want to, to, to walk through you know, where Sosa is, this is a guy who, uh, you know, joined the franchise as a teenager. So he's had a very full minor league career, uh, but he's also still only in his mid twenties uh, and, and we're, you know, in the midst of what is going to be his age 25 season, I believe. And so uh, he is still young. You still have options. And this is a guy who, you know, has pretty good uh, bat-to-ball skill. He's not going to draw a lot of walks. He's got a little bit of pop uh, in his bat as well. Um, And so you're looking at a guy who uh, has established in the high minors um, pretty good contact skills, uh, even if not uh, a great ability to walk, Um, a little bit of pop, uh, you know, nothing terribly exciting, but for a middle infielder, you know, he's, he can lace a double on you. And uh, he also has the ability to play shortstop and second base, and he hits right-handed, you know, and he, he can run the bases uh, pretty well as well. And so the thing that Sosa brings to the table is he has all of these skills where he can help you. He can play the middle infield. He can run the bases as a pinch runner. He can run the bases as a pinch hitter. and you know, you've seen the team kind of declare Tommy Edmond the backup everywhere. Um, well, if Tommy Edmond is the backup everywhere, that means he's not playing anywhere else. So you've got to have someone who can fill in behind Edmond, and they do in Sosa. And I'm not here to tout Sosa as a starter or a starter uh, in waiting who who could someday reach that level. I would be surprised if he did. Uh, but as far as a bench player. Uh, he is unproven, but I think he has a skill skill set that that plays well on that bench that Schilt can use, um, and he's going to get spot starts and pinch hitting opportunities, and he might be a defensive substitute uh, every now and again in a double switch or something like that, and that's fine. That's what bench infielders are at Major League Baseball. And his spring training was not overwhelming, but if you look at his overall body of work, uh, in particular in the high minors and in AAA, 
you know, he's got good bat to ball skills. He can play the middle infield positions well. And, you know, th- those are valuable things to have on your bench uh, moving forward. And so I just, we didn't really talk much about Sosa in the season preview. And uh, here today with the first off day being after opening day, uh, I thought we could just touch on Sosa and how he is kind of one of those solid defensive players, solid bat to ball guys that you see in the middle infield in the high minors. They've had a long minor league career, but the difference about Sosa is he's not 29. You know, he's still in his mid 20s and he could grow a little bit into that role and and be a, a valuable bench player for the team. And I just wanted to touch on that um, because I've, I've just, it seems like a lot of folks are just looking at Sosa in the vacuum of spring training this year. And I, I don't think that's fair to him. And I think it undersells uh, the skills that he brings to the bench. And he was probably only ever going to be a bench infielder. But as far as bench infielders go, he, he's a very satisfactory one. Yeah. Yeah. I think you make a, I think you make a good point there. And, and, yeah, I mean, he's not a player who I'm particularly excited about or, or project a lot from, but, um, you know, it does remind me, uh, it, it makes me think back a little bit about who is Matt Carpenter um, at a sort of similar age. And, you know, Matt Carpenter, uh, I remember seeing Matt Carpenter play in AAA and probably like 2009, 2010, maybe 2011-ish. And I, and I remember at the time he was a third baseman, with really great contact skills and absolutely no power. And I remember going to see him and thinking, gosh, you know, it's really a shame because this guy has a game like that's, but I thought he is never going to play in the major leagues because they no, you can't be a corner infielder with as little power as he has. Um, well, of course he, you know, he came up, you know, which didn't totally surprise me. I was like, okay, he's going to be kind of a bench guy. And then obviously he took off and Matt Carpenter is of course the absolute best case scenario for this. But the thing to keep in mind, I think is just that, you know, development curves aren't kind of a one size fits all. And I think Matt Carpenter was, I believe he was 25 the first year he played a little bit. Um, but like 26, the first year that he had kind of significant, um, you know, I think that he had more than 300 plate appearances. And so, um, yeah, you know, guys, uh, you know, guys can get their shot. Guys can be a little farther down the aging curve than you might expect them to be and and still do something. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, did you have anything else on, uh, on Sosa or? Well, I just want to, uh, you know, I, I like what you're saying about Matt Carpenter. Um, and I think I've been on Twitter too long. Uh, but I, I just want to make sure that we all recognize, you know, Sosa does not have the on-base or ability or strike zone awareness oh, of Matt Carpenter. Oh yeah. and, I, and I wasn't saying no, they're similar right. players, but yeah. And I totally understand what you were saying, but I just wanted to make clear, uh, you know, Sosa had like a three and a half percent walk rate in AAA in 2019, if I remember correctly. Right. I mean, he's, he, he makes Tommy Edmond look like a very patient hitter. <laughs> Uh, you know, like he walked even less than Tommy in AAA in 2019 than Tommy Edmond did in the majors in 2019. So yeah. it's, well, uh, it, you know, he's, it, he, he just has a different skill set and he, he, but he's still relatively young and, and could blossom into a, a decent bench player. Yeah. Well, and if you think people are saying nasty things on social media about Edmundo Sosa, you know, 
don't don't search Matt Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do not want to read those. Very true. Uh, so um, the other thing I wanted to touch on today, uh, uh, today uh, was the first regular season game uh, of the year. This also meant the return of the uh, MLB blackout situation. And I know a lot of Cardinal fans are kind of struggling with what options are there to watch Cardinals games. And the short answer is there are not very many options. And uh, it's the situation is uh, worse than it's been, um, you know, possibly ever, but certainly for the last several years. And it's a real departure from kind of what we've come to expect. So um, this is something that I've been kind of following. And I, I wrote a few Viva Alberto's pieces about this earlier this year. So I, I just sort of wanted to give like a quick recap. And for anybody who's sort of struggling to find an option, try to outline maybe what those options are. So uh, in short, uh, if you want to watch Cardinals games and you're in a blacked out region, and of course, uh, Ben and I are both here in Iowa, which is like the worst place in America to try to watch baseball, because as, as many of you know, we are blacked out from the Cardinals, the Royals, the Twins, the Brewers, the White Sox, and the Cubs. So yes. like a third of major league baseball teams, we cannot watch, um, <laughs> uh, on we can't watch them through like MLB TV, for example. We'd get the blackout screen if we went there. So, um, so what? So what can you do? Well, if you're in a blackout area, you you still have the options of uh, cable or direct TV. You don't have Dish Network anymore. Dish Network has punted all of their RSNs as well. So, cable and direct TV are your options. There is also there's there's this weird AT and T streaming TV thing, but AT and T and Direct TV are are part of the same company. And frankly, I don't understand how they're different and they're about the same price. So, I'm just going to kind of consider those the same thing. But um, you know, your your package could vary where you are. I just did a check today. Um, so, for me here in Des Moines, Direct TV uh, is about seventy bucks a month is what I would be looking at for the package that would give me all access to all of those. RSNs that are part of my local area that I'm blacked out from. So that's an option. You know, the cable and the satellite options have been around for a long time. They still are around. And the problem with them is what it's been for a while, which is that's a that's a chunk of change. That's a chunk of change every month, especially for those of us who might only be really utilizing those, you know, for watching games. Um, over the past few years, uh, the streaming services provided some other options. So you had Sling TV, you had Hulu, you had YouTube TV. Um, you know, there was a point where all three of those were, were viable options. I think those generally ran in the kind of 30 to maybe 40 or $50 a month range for those services. Um, but you could get those RSNs there. Um, none of those are carrying regional sports networks anymore. So the only other option that you really have is um, to... Uh, you know, walk on the dark side of the street just a little bit. And um, <laughs> if you subscribe to MLB TV, which is $129 a year, um, you can use a, a, a service to um, like a smart DNS or a VPN type service to trick your device into thinking you are not where you are. And that can get you access to those. Um, and this is something that I have done in the past. So um, in the past, I have used a, I used a ser service called Unlocator, but there's a, many, many of them out there. So 
um, you know, you can check them out. Uh, they'll often, uh, honestly, the better ones typically do have a charge. Um, if one of them's free, it's probably not very good. But, um, you know, you might pay something like $5 a month for a service like that. Um, in terms of how difficult are they to use, it it, it varies and it kind of depends on what your sort of tech comfort level is. For the most part, what these services do is you go in and you you typically change your DNS settings in uh, a device that you're using. So be it your set-top box um, uh, type thing like your Apple TV, um, or uh, sometimes you can you might change it at the router level, or you know you could change it on uh, a mobile device or a computer or something like that as well. So you're going to have to go in and kind of change some manual settings there. Um, and uh, there's other issues you can run into as well. I know one thing that's come up in the last few years is some routers use uh, a, a DNS. Uh, they went from what was called IPv4 to IPv6. And most of these DNS um, kind of smart DNS things, um, they have trouble with IPv6. So in some cases, if you have a router that's sending out IPv6 or a device that's defaulting to that, that could be a little bit of an issue too. So it's not it's not uncomplicated, but it is doable. If you feel like that cost of cable or direct TV is, is too difficult for you, um, I would say if you if you want to do that, investigate the service that you might use for the the DNS or the VPN service. You know, really get in there, look at their tutorial for exactly the type of you know router and devices that you're using to make sure that it's still compatible with it. If you do that, you might find an answer there. But um, unfortunately, it looks like that's all there's going to be this year. I was really disappointed when um, Sinclair announced the partnership with Bally. Um, initially, Bally was very insistent that their standalone streaming app was going to be available this year for baseball. Yes. And, and I expected it was going to be because the fact that they have been so non-aggressive in kind of renegotiating deals with all these other carriers made me think, well, that's, that's why they don't really care about renegotiating with Hulu because they're going to launch their standalone device that's going to have some integrated betting features in it. And that's what they're going to lean on. So, um, and, and it was really just shortly before the season. And I think a, um, an earnings call from um, Sinclair that they said, oh, yeah, actually, that's not going to be ready this year. That'll be, you know, end of the year. It's going to be after the baseball season when that's ready. So, uh, I mean, I think it's always possible that they reach a deal with, you know, a Dish Network or a Sling or a Hulu. I mean, something like that could happen kind of out of the blue, but I don't know that I expect it will. So, Unfortunately, I think that might be the situation we're left with this year. And then by next year, I guess I hope they have that standalone streaming service um, or app. And, you know, I'm hopeful for it. I know some people are kind of turned off by the idea that it'll have this integrated betting component. And obviously that could be extremely obtrusive and obnoxious, but I guess I'm hopeful that it'll be it'll be present. And, you know, if frankly, if if I can have a standalone Valley Sports Midwest app that's on my phone and on my Apple TV, and I can stream all the Cardinals games on that, you know, I'm willing to put up with a little bit of invasive betting content there. So anyway, that's kind of, I, I just went through kind of a long monologue on that, Ben, but I don't know, any any thoughts you have on that situation? Well, it's frustrating because it felt like they were getting to a point where it was getting easier to not subscribe to cable and watch the games. And then uh, the Sinclair buyout and uh, 
you know, the new sponsorship looked like, oh, it was going to get even easier because there's going to be a standalone app. And then it was psych. That's not going to happen. And so uh, they put people in a position where it's basically you have to subscribe to cable or direct TV if you want to watch Cardinal games or do something with a VPN. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, and that's where you're paying for MLB.tv, but you want to watch your team play. So you're, you're going right. about it that way. And so it's, it's an unfortunate situation. And it's one of those things where it, it happens fairly regularly where it seems like MLB because their local TV deals are so important to individual team revenue, because baseball is a much more regional uh, fan base than an NFL or an NBA where everything is just the total package. And so the individual uh, organizations are so dependent on those TV deals that, that they're doing everything they can to protect them. And in doing that, they're making it harder for the new generation of fans to watch baseball, which seems counterintuitive. But when you think about how old and close to death a lot of the owners are, they care more about squeezing every last dollar out of that cable contract than they do about getting someone who's uh, younger and has maybe never even or maybe has not had cable, you know, because of their age. Right. Um, you know, I, I think of our our sons don't really understand what the radio is or commercials <laughs> because they are used to just streaming what they want to watch when they want to watch it or what they want to listen to when they want to listen to it. And so major league baseball, I think they need to do something to address this. I, I don't know that they ever will because it would mean maybe opening up or revisiting these, these local broadcasting deals. Yeah, well, and the challenge, and because I I have looked at that as well, and I know, and that's something that you, people often say, and it's completely the exasperated reaction is why why doesn't Major League Baseball fix this? And you know, the challenge is Major League Baseball negotiates postseason TV contracts, and then they negotiate a few um, national TV deals. So the ESPN Sunday night baseball and the MLB network, you know, usually has a a game, uh, you know, game or two at night, you know, ESPN might have like a Monday or Tuesday night game or something. So all of those national broadcast games, those are all negotiated by MLB and they kind of have purview over those, but that's a really small percentage of the 165 games that every single team plays. So then each team is left to negotiate their own broadcasting deal for, you know, the rest of those games. And and Ben, you and I are old enough to remember when, you know, it did used to be that you couldn't actually watch every game. Like not every game was on, you know, was on TV. Um, You know, you would often have like a local channel, like maybe your local, you know, Fox affiliate or something like that, that might carry, um, you know, some of the games, um, but, uh, you know, there were just games that weren't on TV and you could only catch it on the radio if you had to. But part of the problem is since the teams negotiate those things, um, you know, there are, uh, you know, each, so each team has a contract with their local RSN. Some of those go out five and 10 years into the future. Those contracts are already signed and those are enormous multi-billion dollar contracts that the teams are counting on, you know, for their revenue. Other teams, 
have deals that are, you know, done in a year or two years. I mean, they all kind of have different term lengths and they're all at various places in their sort of life cycle. So I, it, it just seems like even if, if MLB wanted to somehow step in and retake the power to negotiate all television contracts, it's just, it's almost like, it's like, well, how would you even do that? You know, if, if the Dodgers have, you know, $180 billion, you know, or whatever, uh, you know, that's, that's too much, but you know what I mean? Whatever, it, whatever they have left in their deal, you know, and if the pirates deal is up, you know, next year and they've got like 57 cents left in it or whatever, it's, it, it's just, it's almost an impossible problem to solve. That said, if there were smart, creative people, I'm sure they could solve it. But we know that smart, creative people do not work for Major League <laughs> Baseball in the, the front office. So um, anyway, I think that's just kind of the the universe that we're in there um, at the moment. Um, uh, on to um, uh, just kind of one last thing here before we kind of touch on what we're looking ahead for. Uh, we did get a, a question from a listener already, which was exciting to hear. And uh, you can email us at uh, cardinals at substack.com. So if you have a question you'd like us to talk about, uh, we'd love to love to hear from you guys or, you know, if you just have comments or anything. I mean, if it's nasty, we're just going to throw it in the trash. We're not even going to read it, but um, appreciate the questions. And so uh, uh, Brad Simmons uh, sent in uh, two questions, actually. So Ben, I want to bounce these off of you. So his first question is, uh, with the DH likely coming to the National League in 2022, and then he does put in parentheses, assuming there is baseball in 2022, which is exactly what I would add after that statement. Um, do you see the Cardinals bringing back Albert Pujols for a one year on a veteran minimum, along with re-signing Yachty and Wainwright? They play for one final year together, probably with minimal playing time, and retire together. It would definitely fit the Cardinal narrative and something the fans would absolutely love. Ben, what do you think? I don't think that they do that because I think Pujols is too proud to continue to play unless he's going to start. And I think he's probably too proud to play for the veteran minimum. And then there's also that personal service contract, which at this point in time, I don't even know if it will be anything other than just the exchange of money and the occasional appearance, uh, given the way that contract and his play as an angel has been. Um, so I think that is unlikely. Um, but I also, I would be surprised if Wainwright comes back next year. And I, I, I know, and I would also be surprised if, if Yachty does, um, I feel like the negotiations of this off season, if the same thing plays out next off season, it would not surprise me at all. If they just say, you know, take it or leave it, you know, we're done here. No. I agree with you 100%. Um, I got to say, uh, I have certainly harbored dreams of Albert Pujols having some kind of a, a swan song moment with the Cardinals. I never felt it was particularly likely. The one moment I actually thought, you know, maybe there's a chance this could happen was last season. Because uh, for one thing, we had the DH in the National League. So I thought that, was, that made it a, a possibility. But it would have always come down to the Angels basically cutting him and saying, you know what, you're just, we're going to eat the rest of this money. And, you know, the way he, he's been on kind of a, a, you know, steady decline. And I think the last couple of years, he's been at a point where it wouldn't have been, you know, out of the question for the angels to do something like that. So I, I thought, oh boy, last year in the short season with the DH and the NL, 
you know, maybe the maybe the angels cut ties and maybe in a way there's a way to kind of it, they do it somewhat gracefully if it's a way that they, you know, let him, you know, go to, you know, come to St. Louis and kind of play out the, you know, the end of that season there. Um, yeah, basically just a DH kind of bench guy, you know, wave at the fans. But of course, you know, Pujols is still around. Pujols is still playing this year. You know, if Pujols was under contract for three more years, he I'm sure he would be playing for three more years, you know, until he's 50. So um, uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, uh, Brad's other question, uh, he says multiple amazing shortstops are going to be available this coming free agency. How likely do you think the Cardinals go after a guy like Corey Seager? What do you think, Ben? Uh, I think it's possible. Uh, but unlikely. I think the the first thing that we'll need to see is what Nolan Arenado does. I think if he were to opt out, you know, they would probably attempt to re-sign him. But if they failed and there was a shortstop on the market, uh, like a Seager still on the market, um, it's very possible that DeYoung or Edmund could be shuffled around and they could make room for that shortstop on the infield. And so I, I think them going after a short shortstop is dependent on uh, what Arenado does. I don't think they would go after a shortstop because there's limited ability to move to young at that point in time. Um, and so I, I think they would only do it if they lose out on Arenado and he goes elsewhere. Right. And you, you got it. The one other aspect of it to me, which is, um, in the event that they, you know, they keep Arenado and they are, do look to upgrade, I, I don't think shortstop is probably the most likely place that they look. You know, unless Paul DeYoung has, you know, just a, you know, craters this year or something like that. But assuming that he has a kind of performance we think he's going to have, that's a pretty steady, solid piece of their of their team. And I think they would, if they were going to go out and and sign a, a big free agent, and we all know that betting on the Cardinals to go out and sign a big free agent is never a thing that you should do. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I don't think it would. But yeah, you never know. I mean, I didn't necessarily think they were ever going to do this Arenado thing. I thought this was kind of, you know, um, it, it's of course made a lot of sense, but it'd been floating in the air for a couple of years. It was starting to feel more like Cardinal fan fiction to me. And then I woke up one day and it happened. So you never know. Well, that that's definitely true. But you, you make another good point with how often are, do the Cardinals finish first in a free agent bidding war? Not very often. No, no, no. So, Alrighty. Well, um, so with that, uh, we, we've, we've been through one day of the season. I think we've got about another week or so before the next off day. I don't have the schedule right in front of me, but um, we got a little bit longer. So uh, Ben, what are you going to be looking for over these next uh, several games? Uh, I am going to be looking at bullpen usage um, I, and also in relationship to how the starters uh, are deployed in terms of how quickly they're pulled. And then uh, also with an eye on what Kim's health, what reports are about Kim's health and just sort of that whole pitcher usage puzzle and how that fits together. Uh, In particular, we do have a week until the next off day. There's just quite a few off days in April. Today's the first or excuse me, uh, the second is the first off day. And then the ninth is the second. And then they have another off day on the 15th and then another on the 22nd. But after that off day on the 22nd, they kind of have a good solid stretch of games. And I think it'll 
help us get a better idea of how Schilt is going to manage the bullpen in particular. So, uh, but I think, you know, we've got counting here six games in six days coming up. And I, you know, that, that'll give us a better idea of how he's going to use relievers um, in, in what situations and who he's going to call on in close and late games. And I'm, I'm going to be watching that pretty closely. Um, I'm also going to be uh, watching to see uh, how Justin Williams's plate approach looks uh, because I think he's going to get quite a few at bats against right-handed pitching and we'll see if he's uh, able to string some hits together here uh, after a pretty uneventful first day at the plate for him. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm going to more or less echo what you said about uh, looking at how the bullpen's used. And and I guess I would drill down on that even more and say, I, I'm interested in how the, the starters are going to be used. And I think it seemed pretty clear today that Flaherty was on a, you know, about a hundred pitch cap. And, you know, is that, is that the plan for everybody? You know, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they let Adam Wainwright go beyond that. I wouldn't be surprised if they had John Ganton Ponce de Leon on something more like a 60 pitch cap, you know, which for, you know, Ponce de Leon will be about an inning and a half. So, um, <laughs> well, you know, so, um, you know, I'm just, I'm interested to see how we know that they're going to keep everyone's innings down, but, um, do they have sort of a, an approach tailored to each of those pitchers or is it just going to be in general, we're going to try to keep, you know, maybe pitchers uh, under say a hundred. Yeah. I, that will be very interesting to see. And in particular with Gant, because he threw 15 innings last year, uh, you know, he's potentially facing a very large increase this year. And I, I don't know if they're just going to say, give us as much as you can for as long as you can. And then we'll, you know, figure it out after that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me that you see the way they're handling Reyes on the one hand, who admittedly has more of an injury history and then the way they're handling, handling Gant on the other. But I think they view whether they're right or not. I think they view both Ponce de Leon and Gant as short term stop gaps more than a full season solution. So we'll see how they handle them. That's going to be very interesting. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do have a lower pitch count uh, than Flaherty, as you suggest. Right. And I, I think about my cars, you know, I, I have two cars. One um, I bought new just a few years ago. It's still under warranty. Uh, the other one I bought used with like a hundred thousand miles when I got it. And it's got well over that. Now I treat those two cars very differently as well. So I think, you know, the Cardinals have, um, yeah, they have a, they have a, a two, two different cars as well. That was my, that was that I, I thought that was going to be a good analogy. And then about two thirds of the way through, I was like, <laughs> isn't really going, this isn't going as well as I hoped, but oh, well, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Ben, I think that's all we had for today. Was there anything else you wanted to mention or uh no i just wanted to uh point out how uh prescient my goldschmidt analysis from the season preview was uh for opening day uh he looked great at the plate um and uh you know if we see that goldschmidt all season i think it's going to be a really good year for the cardinals because he in the in the two spot if he's getting on base and hitting for power in front of arenado it just makes the lineup so much better and it was really great to see that on opening day absolutely i you know if they can score 11 every day i think this is going to be a good season so we'll uh 
we'll hope that continues. Um, anyway, with that, uh, yeah, so this has been Cardinals Off Day. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, if you haven't already, uh, if you follow us at uh, Substack, uh, Substack or cardinalsoffday.substack.com, um, you'll get updates um, when the episodes are posted. We do plan some written pieces there eventually as well. Uh, you can email us at cardinalsoffday at substack.com, and we'll uh, look forward to talking to you next uh next cardinals off day so uh anyway go cardinals